The views and opinions expressed in the Youth Move Nevada podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the views of all statewide family networks nor Youth Move National. This podcast does not provide legal or medical advice and is intended for informational and support purposes only. All statements and opinions provided in this podcast are not meant to malign anyone or anything. Welcome back to the Youth Move Nevada podcast. In case you're a first-time listener, my name is Riley Harris, and I'm a youth mentor for Youth Move Nevada, and I use he-him pronouns. I'm Jude Oliver, and I'm a youth move facilitator, and my pronouns are she-they. And my name is Daniel Leal, and I am a youth move facilitator, and my pronouns are he and him. And I'm Kate Little, I'm a youth move facilitator, and my pronouns are she-her. So, you know who we are, now here's a little bit of background about Youth Move Nevada and what we do. We're a youth-inspired and youth-led organization that encourages and empowers our youth peers to unite together to engage with the systems that serve them. We recognize the power of lived experience, and we are also a strength-based bridge to improving support services for youth and by youth through our shared experience and expertise. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. And if you are a long-time listener, thank you for your support. So let's get to the reason you tuned in. Welcome back to Youth Move Nevada podcast. I want to get started by welcoming our newest member to our team, Kate Little. Thank you so much, Daniel. I'm happy to be part of the team and can't wait to meet our guest today, Carissa Tashiro. In 1999, the United States Supreme Court decided the case of Olmstead versus LC. The Olmstead decision was based on the Americans with Disability Act, and the court held that people with disabilities have the right to receive state-funded community-based services and supports rather than institutions. This was a huge win for civil rights of people with disabilities. But I think our guests can tell us more about this. Thank you, Kate. And today with us, we have Carissa Tashiro. Carissa is an attorney with the Nevada Disability and Advocacy Law Center. Recently, Carissa presented on the Olmstead decision at a statewide conference on improving behavior health response in Nevada and our state Olmstead plan. Thank you so much for joining us today, Carissa. We're excited that you're here to educate us a little bit further on the Olmstead decision. Thanks so much. I'm really excited for the opportunity and I appreciate you having me here to discuss this topic. Can you tell us some history of how Olmstead versus LC ended up being heard in the U.S. Supreme Court? Absolutely. So LC in this case is Lois Curtis, and sadly she passed away last fall, but she was a woman with an intellectual disability living in Georgia who also had schizophrenia. At the time, back in the early 90s, the state of Georgia provided no way for Lois to get mental health support at home. So she found herself cycling in and out of psychiatric hospitals. Her condition would get worse. She'd go to the hospital to get treatment. She would get better, but then she'd go back home to no help and get worse again. In 1993, Lois needed mental health treatment, so she checked herself into the Georgia Regional Hospital in Atlanta. After a time, her condition stabilized. Her doctor said she was ready to go home as long as she had the right help, but the help that Lois needed wasn't available because the state only paid for services in the hospital. Two years later, Lois was still in the hospital, even though medically she didn't need to be there, so she sued. Elaine Wilson, another woman who also had been hospitalized for years at Georgia Regional for the same reasons, joined the suit as an additional plaintiff. Lois and Elaine won at the district court level. The state appealed, 
and the 11th Circuit affirmed. So then the state sought cert from the United States Supreme Court. In an opinion delivered by the legendary RBG, the Supreme Court held that under Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which prohibits public entities from discriminating against people with disabilities, it is impermissible for a state to only offer treatment in a facility when community-based treatment is appropriate for the person's needs and not opposed by the person with the disability, and when community placement could be reasonably accommodated by the state. Why is the Olmstead decision important, and how does it affect the youth today? So the Olmstead decision is a landmark case in the disability rights movement because it recognizes the profound discriminatory impact of segregating people with disabilities and in institutions. The court in that case said that the idea that people with disabilities should be kept in facilities behind closed doors um, depends on this problematic assumption that people with disabilities are incapable of or unworthy of participating in community life. And also, the court recognized that confinement in an institution severely diminishes the ability of a person to exercise their agency and to have a fulfilling life in so many ways. So today, the Olmstead decision continues to underlie a movement toward a fully inclusive society that recognizes and values the contributions and participation of all people with disabilities. And we know that you were in a mental health conference in Las Vegas earlier this year and co-presented on a panel about Olmstead. How does Olmstead apply to mental health? Sure. So one of the things that I was really trying to highlight at that conference was how Olmstead applies to our children's behavioral health system here in Nevada. Uh, just last fall, the United States Department of Justice found that Nevada lacks adequate community-based services for kids such that we are in violation of Olmstead. Um, you can check out the full report online. You should be able to find it if you Google Nevada Olmstead DOJ. But basically, just like in the original Olmstead case, our primary method of treating kids in Nevada who need mental health help is sending them to residential treatment facilities, away from their families, away from their communities, where sometimes they stay for years. These facilities are oftentimes in very rural places or out of state. Oversight is poor, and that can lead to horrific abuse and neglect, and kids just not getting the help that they need. It's really tragic. So what we need to do is instead of institutionalizing kids, we need to develop effective community-based services here in Nevada, and we need to make sure that those services are available to everyone who needs them. Um, we could use federal funding to add Medicaid services to our state plan, things like wraparound, treatment foster care, family therapy services, intensive in-home support. So that's a really important thing that needs to happen in this state. Those are all good things that should really happen in the state of Nevada. So on the front lines advocating for Olmstead, do you ever find yourself feeling challenged from the lack of awareness of Olmstead? I do. So uh, I worked in New Mexico for a few years um, in disability law uh, before I came back home to Nevada. And when I returned, I was really surprised to find that oftentimes stakeholders at so many levels are quick to identify segregated settings and service delivery models as the solution. So you know, if a person with disability needs services, we think residential facilities, we think self-contained classrooms, shelter workshops, guardianships. And I think we really need a cultural shift. We need to move away from this idea that 
People with disabilities are best served in segregated places, and we need to really embrace inclusion. We need to think outside of the box and ask, what supports do we need to make this work so that a person can receive services in a community-based setting? And then we need to find ways to put those supports in place so that we can be in compliance with Olmstead. That is amazing, especially you talk about inclusion. Do you believe that there is a good way for youth to take the next step in advocating for Olmstead? And do you think there is uh, certain steps that youth could follow so they could, can help others on advocating on Olmstead procedures? Sure, Daniel. Well, I'm really glad that we're having this conversation because I think being informed of your rights is an excellent place to start. Uh, you can be a better advocate for yourself and for others if you know what the law says and how to use it to support equality and inclusion. Um, and this might sound kind of tried or overdone, but I think it is important to be the change that you want to see. I think we should try to really embody those values that disability is a natural part of the human experience and that we all deserve to participate in and contribute to our communities and that society should promote equity and inclusion. And then um, you can carry that attitude with you in your daily life and in your interactions and in your participation in advocacy groups and at school and your work and the legislative process and so on. Thank you so much, Carissa. It is really important to know our rights. Um, we just went to the legislature in uh, a couple weeks ago, and that really opened our eyes um, about what rights we do have and what we don't and what we need to do in order to help make laws in the state of Nevada. So it, it was really cool seeing that process. Why do you think it's important for all the youth to spread the word about Olmstead and what it stands for? That way the next generation can continue the change. So I think throughout history, youth have been the drivers of so much innovation and reform. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, with respect to children's behavioral health, so many Olmstead-related issues affect young people. So um, you all are the drivers of cultural change. These are really important issues. And I'm so glad to see that there are groups like Youth Move to coalesce around disability rights, to be um, participating, like you said, in the legislative process and policy work, um, because disability rights really are civil rights, and those issues affect us all. Well, that is amazing, especially the way you talk about the youth, how their involvement and also their advocacy. Is there anything that we have missed that you would like to cover? Just really briefly, I wanted to put in a plug for my agency. Uh, we're the Nevada Disability Advocacy and Law Center, and uh, NDALC is the protection advocacy system for people with disabilities here in Nevada. We're part of a national network, so every state has an agency like ours. Um, we're a private nonprofit. We get federal funding to protect, promote, and expand the rights of people with disabilities. We do um, policy work. We do offer individual legal assistance, systemic work. So please feel free to reach out to us if we can be of any assistance. Our website is www.ndalc.org, as in Nevada Disability Advocacy Law Center, ndalc.org. So um give us a call. And thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today to talk about Olmstead. Really appreciate all of the work that you do to achieve a more equitable, inclusive Nevada. Thanks so much for coming and speaking to us about this today, Carissa. Youth Move 
is so happy to have a platform and knowledgeable guests like you to help keep the momentum going around the disability movement. Thank you so much, Kate. And thank you, Daniel. It's truly my pleasure. Thank you again. And thank you for our guests for tuning in to our podcast. And bye. The theme music used in this podcast was created by Youth Move Nevada member TJ Stevens of Falanche Entertainment.